Welcome back to the program. To dream the impossible dream has been the great engine of progress in the world. From the early explorers to scientists and engineers to man's quest to explore the planet. The story of exploration is the story of mankind. When John Kennedy laid down the predicate of reaching the moon by the end of a decade, he defined for the whole country the kind of clear goals that we all individually seek. The story of some of these individuals, along with his own quest, is what my guest Chris Gillibo writes about in his latest book, The Happiness of Pursuit. Chris Gillibo is a New York Times bestselling author. His previous books include The Art of Nonconformity and The Hundred Dollar Startup. He recently completed his own quest to visit every country in the world. And it is my pleasure to welcome Chris Gillibo back to this program to talk about The Happiness of Pursuit, Finding the Quest that Will Bring Purpose to Your Life. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. Great to have you here. I want to talk first about this kind of innate desire that we all have to accomplish something, to quest after something, to really use goals as a way of defining who we are and what we want to accomplish, and and what you really discovered about that in your own quest in this book. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think uh, we all like to strive towards something. We like to set ambitious goals or projects and once we believe that they might actually be feasible, we might actually be able to accomplish that goal or reach that destination, um, then it's, it's really hard to kind of turn your back on it and say, okay, I'm not going to do it. You know, in my case, uh, you know, I had this crazy idea to go to every country in the world. And, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I, like, I, I knew it was a crazy idea. I knew it was totally absurd. Uh, but I also knew if I didn't at least attempt it, I would always regret it. And, so I decided to go for it. I said, I might, might not succeed, but I at least have to try. And along the way, I, I found a lot of happiness and, and purpose in saying yes to that goal of working toward it and, you know, going through all the different milestones and stages and levels. So it wasn't all about the destination. It wasn't all about the goal. I mean, it definitely had a lot to do with the process, but maybe having that goal cemented in the first place helped me to say yes to adventure, helped me to say yes to, to pursuing it. It's also understanding what the nature of that process is and really to find the joy in the process itself. Otherwise, you get to the end of the goal and, and it's kind of, is that all there is? Well, absolutely. And I mean, in my case, 10 and a half years you know, of working toward every country in the world, I think that would have been pretty depressing if I didn't take a lot of joy throughout the process. And I looked at lots of other people for the book who had also pursued a big goal often, you know, over decades. Um, there was this guy in Australia who produced the world's largest symphony, and that took more than 28 years to accomplish, which lots of, with lots of failures and setbacks along the way. He did eventually, you know, produce that symphony with more than 800 performers and multiple choirs. It was this massive undertaking, and there was a lot of joy in that. But I think there, there was also joy in, in kind of putting it together and, you know, two steps forward, one step back, um, because if not, as I said, it's, it's kind of a, a depressing thing. If you're just working towards something, it may actually happen one day, but you're not taking joy throughout. It really is this idea that you talk about of the challenge being the essence of the adventure itself. Mm. Well, exactly. You know, I mean, it, again, you know, with, with going everywhere, like I, I greatly enjoyed the challenge. That was one of the things that was most attractive to me was in kind of piecing it out and figuring out, okay, like you know, every country in the world, how many countries is that? You know, it's 193 countries. Well, how many of them are difficult? How many of them are dangerous? How many of them are expensive? What are the, the financial costs? What are the time costs? What are the other things? 
you know, what could likely go wrong. I actually really enjoyed that kind of analytical, logical thinking. And I took pleasure in just kind of figuring it out and, and always knowing what I had to do next. That was the other thing is like, if I know what to do next, then it just provides such a foundation for my life. To what extent is it critical, both in your own personal experience and for so many of the people that you talk to, that they really have a profound belief in whatever that goal and whatever that dream is? Well, it's two things. I think, you know, when you finally figure out what you want to do and what you're working toward, and it's going to be something that is all-consuming or at least requires a lot of time and focus, it is absolutely critical that you believe in it. And, you know, it's great if other people can believe in it as well, but but you personally, you know, you're on this mission. It's your calling. It's your crazy idea. You you have to, you know, fundamentally have a belief that it's worth doing and it's meaningful to you and that you're going to be prepared to stick it out um, because otherwise it's, it's difficult. But I also think it's fair to say that, that not everybody has this grand vision, especially in the beginning of something. You know, I, I found that, that vision comes through experience. Um, and confidence, you know, comes through experience. So, you know, I, I didn't start by saying, uh, you know, I've just been to two countries, now I'm going to go to every country in the world. You know, I came to this project out of a love of travel. I loved exploration, I loved making discoveries, meeting new people, challenging myself, and, you know, after a while I had made a list of all the countries I'd been to, and I decided to try to go to 100 countries, you know, at some point in my life. And, and as I got closer to that goal, I realized, like, let's make it a real challenge. Let's go to every country. No exceptions, you know, no modifications. So I feel like a lot of people, you know, are worried. They have this angst over, you know, I don't, I don't know what my big thing is. I don't know, you know, what that crazy idea is. I, I think you find that crazy idea and you find the confidence to pursue something that really matters to you, you know, by experimenting, by working toward things that you believe in. And eventually maybe they'll turn into a big goal. Um, but if it doesn't, that's okay, too. How many of these stories came about as a result of a proactive kind of vision in many ways like yours? And how many came about, as many of them seem to, from a sense of discontent and unhappiness? That's a great question. Uh, I don't even know the ratio. I, I would imagine there's, there's some of both. And there's probably some overlap you know, in those two things because you, know, you, you said that, that my quest came about through proactive thinking. I think it also came about through discontent. And, you know, when I, when I write about discontent in the book, I, I'm not, I don't mean that people were all miserable. I don't mean that they're terribly unhappy. You know, discontent is just a, a general state of, of dissatisfaction or of longing for something more. You know, you can have a great life and you can have healthy relationships and good work, but still have this longing to do something else. And maybe you come across this, this goal or the crazy idea or whatever it is, um, and you're discontented or dissatisfied until you say yes to that. So... I don't know. I think, uh, you know, I came across a range of, of people and some of them had always been driven toward pursuing something and others were kind of reactive, you know, towards something else that was introduced in their life or something that happened, you know, to them personally or something that mattered to them. And, and then they kind of you know, found their quest after that. It is clear, though, that discontent is is a powerful force for positive change in many of these cases. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I actually see it as a positive thing. As you said, I don't see... Uh, discontented in anything negative. I said, well, I guess it would be negative if you're discontented and you don't do anything about it, right? <laughs> because, you know, that, that could, you know, make you kind of sad. But if you're discontented and you use that as a force to say, okay, great, like, you know, there are so many opportunities available to us, you know, anybody listening to this, like, there are so many possibilities. There's so many things, you know, there's so many, you know, doors are open in this day and age that maybe weren't always open, maybe aren't open to everybody else around the world, um, but right now they are open to me, so 
what am I going to do about that? And I, I kind of, you know, see it as that, that push that, that helps us to maybe take that next step or to have a grander vision for something. Are there people that you've run across that just don't get this, that, that really in Thoreau's words lead lives of quiet desperation and just don't understand this conceptually? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and that, that's fine. You know, I guess uh, I've always said, you know, with this and my other books, um, you know, I'm, I'm essentially, you know, writing for the dissatisfied. And <laughs> again, dissatisfied doesn't mean miserable. I'm writing for people who want more out of life. And, you know, I, I sometimes get emails from someone who says, you know, like, I have a, I have a, a, you know, a good life and I'm happy and I don't want for anything else. Like, you know, do you hate me? And, and the, obviously the answer is no, of course not. If you have a good life, that's what it's all about. Um, but I do believe there's a, there are a lot of people who, you know, they do want more out of life and they do want to, to really live with urgency. And, you know, they have either had something that happened to them or they maybe they had a close brush with death. I saw that as a commonality in a lot of the stories that I looked at. They, you know, they had lost a family member or maybe they had been sick themselves. And they kind of use that as a motivation to say, like, okay, you know, life is short. Uh, I'm going to spend the rest of my days, however long that is, really working towards something that, that I believe in. So, no, not everybody gets it, and that's okay. That's fine. Talk a little more about that, because there is this sense that thinking about the end of one's life really is, is a powerful motivating force sometimes. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a story in the book that I told a lot when I went on this book tour, and I'll just, I'll just share the short version of it now, um, and people can read the book if they want the long version. But this is the story of, of a young widower who is uh, seeking to fulfill his late wife's bucket list. And so it's the story of Adam and Megan. And before Megan became ill with the cancer that took her life at a young age, um, she had created this bucket list or this life list of all these things that she wanted to do. And she wanted to go to a baseball game. She wanted to learn to knit and to run a marathon and to volunteer and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, she wasn't able to do, you know, many of those things. And so Adam, you know, in, in the wake of her death, uh, decided to take on this, this challenge for himself. And he would, he would complete her bucket list, no exceptions, no modifications. And he talked about how in doing so, he felt like he was grieving for her, um, but he was also becoming a better person himself because he was taking on all these different kind of challenges that he otherwise you know, wouldn't have done. So he trained for the marathon and, you know, he went to India to volunteer and went to the baseball game and he's still learning to knit because, you know, learning to knit is a greater <laughs> challenge than many other things. Right. Um, but, you know, he chose, you know, he, he talked about her life and he said, you know, like she, she died very young, but she actually lived and she lived a fuller life than lots of other people did. And so he had chosen to kind of take that on. So not everybody has to go through something like that. Like hopefully most people don't. Um, you know, hopefully most people can say, like, maybe I didn't have that experience. Another part of it is the degree to which a lot of these quests, a lot of these visions change over time, that once you begin <laughs> something, there are layers and layers that begin to unfold. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would say, say two things about that. One, you know, as we alluded to earlier, your vision increases over time. Like, you get a bigger vision. You're, like, willing to go to a next step or something, like I did with, with my project. And then, two... Uh, it's also okay to just change completely, and you know if you're if you're going down some road and you don't enjoy it anymore, you don't have the motivation, you're not seeing that joy in the journey, then you know I don't think you owe it to to anyone to continue with something that you don't you know you, you don't enjoy or you don't find meaningful. You know I think uh, in our society we're often encouraging people never give up, you know like always stick it out, and I think that's really bad advice. 
because most people can think of lots of times that they gave up on something and they ended up finding a better situation or a better scenario because they gave up. So, yes, it's totally okay to change your mind. Does the complexity, the greater complexity of the world today, help or hurt in these pursuits? What is your sense of that? That's a good question. I don't think I've ever heard that question before. <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, my first response is to say, like, overall it helps. You know, like, overall it's like, you know, there's so many opportunities and, and possibilities and, you know, like, far more doors are open. But maybe, the, the you know, the opposite of that or, or the converse approach is to say, well, sometimes we can get overwhelmed because we don't necessarily know what to do because there is so much out there. And in the past, perhaps some of our choices were constrained. And now we have this sense of unlimited choice. So therefore, what does one, you know, choose to pursue? But I guess it's a good problem to have. I mean, I guess the overwhelm, the part about feeling overwhelmed, there's a story you tell about a guy that walked across the country, and it's the idea of just making a little progress each day. And even, you know, some days may be a setback, but you make a little more progress the next day. Yeah, well, absolutely. I, lo- I love that story. That was, that was Nate Dam who walked from Portland, Maine, to the San Francisco Bay. And yeah, he said this great thing that kind of stuck with me for a long time. He said, you know, I set out to walk, and it took seven and a half months. And in the, in the beginning, I was really, you know, kind of grumbling to myself and complaining. And, you know, it was hard and all that. And he said, finally, I just realized, you know, like I just had one task in front of me, and all I had to do was walk. And essentially, if I put one foot in front of the other, literally, not even metaphorically, but, you know, literally, I would eventually achieve my goal, right? So, you know, just keep making progress, you know, just keep moving forward however you can, and eventually you'll get there. To what extent are a lot of these stories and the people that you talk to in reporting the happiness of pursuit dreams that that evolved immediately? They're they're things that came to them maybe later in life, or how many were dreams that and and goals that these people had had with them for a long time before they began to pursue them? I think most dreams tend to develop. I think most dreams, uh, you know, come about through a process of trial and error. Uh, through life experience in general, I think, you know, if a, if a dream is, is fairly basic, you know, if a child says, I want to be a ballerina, I want to be a firefighter, I want to be an astronaut, you know, that, then that's, you know, a fairly straightforward linear path toward achieving that goal. But I think, you know, most of the, the quests that we looked at were things that tended to evolve over time. And, you know, they came about because a person had done something else, because they had established this belief structure um, because they had a certain experience in one area, then they either wanted to maximize that experience. You know, there was a guy who mastered the MIT four-year computer science curriculum in one year, and he did that independently. You know, that wasn't something that, like, when he was five years old, he said, I want to do that. It was, you know, he he kind of went through young adulthood, and he got an undergraduate degree in business, but then he wished he had studied computer science. But he didn't want to go back and spend four years doing it. And, and all the time he was doing his undergrad, he was actually learning a lot about independent learning and efficiency and, you know, maximal productivity and all that. So he applied these skills, you know, to the quest. So I think it tends to develop. And finally, tell us a little bit about your own pursuit. We've touched on it a few times, this idea of visiting every country in the world. You know, um, it was a fantastic, it was a fantastic journey. You know, like I said, I, I didn't know what was going to happen when I started, I didn't have the complete vision, and uh, I just kept going for it. And in the beginning, it was a very private project. I didn't have a blog. I didn't have books. Or there was no business angle or anything to it. Uh, I was an aid worker for about four years in Sierra Leone and Liberia. 
And out of that experience, uh, I became comfortable in traveling in some more challenging or difficult settings. And um, I was always a list maker. I liked writing things down and checking them off. And I was kind of goal-oriented to a fault. So I would always kind of set goals about different things. So, you know, it was kind of like, why not? Why not Why not do this? And, and uh, you know, along the way, probably about 70 countries in, I started writing about the journey, started, um, you know, recruiting leaders and different people who were interested. And that changed the whole trajectory of everything because I had always been just an independent traveler, but now there were these very interesting people all over the world who were participating. And that made it so much better for the second half of the journey. Did it change the nature of traveling and, and exploring for you, knowing that it was part of a goal as opposed to just a more random walk? Yes, it changed it and it made it better because I felt it was fixed to something and, and travel doesn't have to be fixed to anything. But for me, it, I, I, for some reason, I just related much more to that. And I found that lots of other people had a similar experience. Uh, there was a woman in Oklahoma who cooked a meal from every country in the world. And she had a, you know, a similar aspiration to see the world. And she had a young daughter who wasn't able to travel. So she decided to replicate, you know, my project in her own way by cooking a meal and, you know, took three, three years of researching recipes and, you know, completing these elaborate, you know, menus and things. And so I think it was the same kind of thing. She could have just made, you know, a bunch of foreign food. She could have just said, oh, I'm going to learn to cook Indian food, you know, this week and next month, maybe Chinese food or something. But, you know, she did 193 countries and the, the no exceptions, the no modifications, the, this is the goal and this is what we're working toward. I think that makes a big difference. Chris Gillibo, the book is The Happiness of Pursuit. Chris, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. 